0: Hello, this is Kyle Heath and I'm the host of No Techno Babble. This is a podcast for those people who really want to understand more about how technology and IT can be used in business and in our personal lives to make things easier, make things better. I pretty much thought for a long time that we're not really that well served, particularly in business. On how to understand how technology works, hence, kind of the title. No techno bubble, techno bubble. If you look that up, it's the kind of stuff that is full of jargon and acronyms and kind of what you get when you talk to someone who might come and help you fix your computer from the IT team and don't really know what they're talking about. And so I thought, okay, well, is there a podcast that serves that? Is there a podcast out there that's helping people to get past that kind of stuff and into a way where they can really get some value out of it, and maybe benefit from technology. And I can't kind of find one that is. So that's the base reason for why I've started this podcast, No Techno Bubble. And there certainly won't be any Techno Bubble today in the first episode because I'm not really going to talk about anything to do with business or technology, actually. The best place for me to start is talk a little bit about why I'm here and why I believe that I might be able to help you out there. And bring a little bit of value into your life and make this a bit more enjoyable than maybe you might expect it to be. I'll give you a little background. I'm 44 years old and I live in Shropshire with my partner Kat. And I've got two daughters, Dixie D and Shiloh Sky. Dixie's three and a half and Shiloh's nearly two years old. And a little bit late in the day as a dad. So, but uh, it taught me... Quite a few things that I needed to understand as that when I became a father, particularly about how I worked, that the time that I spent with my girls was really important, very precious to me and if I was going to be out of the house at half six in the morning and not back till five half five in the evening, maybe later than that, I wasn't really going to see them as much as I'd like to, and everybody tells you, see them as much as you can, be with your kids because you can't roll the clock back. it's the one thing you'll regret. And that opened my mind to how can we, how could I better work my life and do things differently so that I could see my kids more and that I wouldn't have to miss out on seeing them a bit like my dad did in the 80s because he had to go to work, he had to do what he did. That's primarily one of the reasons why I'm so interested in helping people have a better work life integration because there isn't enough time for us all. If we don't place an importance on the things that really matter, we can function too much on work and it's actually more important to spend time with our family. I'll roll you back a little bit further than that and how I got into IT so you can understand a bit about why I might actually have something to say about this and why I should be saying something like this. When I was at university, I had a degree in politics and government. It was down in Kent in the early 1990s. And I can particularly remember going into the library and seeing people sat at the six or so computers that were on every floor of the library. They were writing their dissertations and essays. And I used to look at them and see them. And they were these big, hulking beige boxes, as they were back in those days. There no internet connection. Uh, they, they were pretty much standalone computers with a floppy disk in them and a big blue screen in front of them. And I always think, why is it a blue screen? I didn't use them. I walked past the computers and sat down and wrote with a pen and paper because it was so much faster than using a computer was in those days. And that's the irony of things now, isn't it, to imagine that pen and paper is faster than the computer? But it was. And the blue screen, of course, was a program called WordPerfect 5.1. Now I know that years later and it was blue with a white cursor on it and it helped you do documents and those kind of things so at university i had nothing to do with computers no computer science degree anything like that politics and government the nearest i got to computers was playing sega and playing sensible soccer on the sega most of the time i left university and Went to get a job in something that everybody in the family did, which was, because I grew up in Birmingham, was to work at the Longbridge Car Plant Factory, Rover in Longbridge. And I got a job in the distribution centre, and I used to work the night shift from 10 at night till 60 in the morning. I was responsible for helping making sure all the parts got up to the track on time on all of the lorries. I wasn't loading the lorries, anything like that. I was in the dispatch office, and I made sure all those things got up, and I also spent time working goods in. Did that for about 18 months Until one day somebody grabbed me in one of the aisles in the warehouse and and said to me pretty straight that I shouldn't be there, that I should be doing better for myself, and that I was actually taking a job from his mate that didn't go to university and should have that job. And what was I doing? And uh, that made me think that day. I actually quit that job the next day and picked up the phone and got myself a temping job doing telesales in Birmingham City Centre. Completely different thing. Now I was in a nine-to-five job, literally nine-to-five job, with a lunch hour and breaks, and I was in the city centre, and I got to wear relatively what they you'd call now professional attire, you know, a <laughs> shirt and attire and those things that you think you should wear when you're in your early 20s. And I got on the phones, and I was kind of selling. I was selling appointments. So I wasn't actually hard-selling for cash or credit card over the phone, but I was booking appointments for people in IT, in telecommunications, that kind of stuff. Cold calling is what you might call it. And I did that for about a year. and I was pretty all right at it. I earned reasonable money for a 23-year-old, I felt. It was certainly enough money for me to go out after work for just the one and then come home at half past 11 at night from the pub, which is what I did on a regular basis. And after I did that for 12 months or so, you burn out a little bit in doing those kind of sales because... Although you do get paid money for it, the money doesn't really make up for the fact that it is extremely repetitive and a bit soul-destroying and boring, to be honest. It's not really very interesting. You have to really be into the money. And there wasn't... I couldn't make endless commissions in this job. It wasn't going to pay money, money, money. I was making about the most you could make out of it and I'd got used to that amount of money in my life so it wasn't really that special any longer. What did come up, though, was the business had an IT manager at that point in time. this was the 1997 or so. And so a business would have an IT manager. Computers were expensive items, and IT was in its infancy in business. So the idea of having an IT manager, even a small company with 20 employees, was was the done thing in those days. And this guy, Brian, I remember Brian, he he was... uh, he was a classic IT. He was quite a, quite a nerdy sort of guy. He was a nice guy. I liked Brian a lot, and he was a lot of fun. He was probably then I would have thought like late 30s. And Brian had got the computer system fairly well organised. We all had Windows three eleven in those days on the computer, which was a very old version of Windows. And we had a database that we entered all our data into. And that was it. There was no internet connection or anything at that point in time. The computers were connected together so that we could share the data, information in the database, and we could print things. And I remember Brian got himself a better job. He was a clever guy, and I think he really had outgrown the business. Yeah, everything worked pretty well. And he wasn't doing a fat lot in his office, and he'd be the first to admit it. So Brian got, Brian got himself a better job, and he left. Which left a bit of a gap in the business, because there wasn't anyone really to look after the system although the systems were working and the md knew this now i'd noted that in this database we were using and it was a program called paradox that you could go into how it was set up it wasn't locked down in those days it wasn't that i as an employee couldn't go in and see the makings of it i actually could go in and turn it from use mode into design mode and i did it many times and i kind of worked out how this thing was working there were tables with data in and then there were forms that presented this data to you and you could drag buttons around and you could create drop-down menus and stuff like that. That's how it worked. So I started playing around with it a bit and I had said to the MD, I'm a bit bored on the phones. She'd asked me and I said, I'm not really finding it that exciting, but I do like looking at the database and when we get a new client, can I create the next campaign database for them? And she said, okay, if you can do it, I'll give you the opportunity to do it. You go ahead and do it, and I did. I created it, and she was happy with that. You know, it wasn't too hard. I copied the ori- original campaign. You know, I used techniques like I copied it, rejigged it around a bit, imported the data from a CSV file or you know Excel type file, and away you go. I created a campaign, and it worked. And she was pretty happy with that. And she said, "Okay, okay, you can do. You could do like two days a week in the IT and three days a week on the phone selling stuff." So that was a break. That was my first sort of breakout of what I'd been doing before into IT. And the more I broke into using the computers, the more I realized how much I simply enjoyed this thing. I enjoyed pulling them apart when they were broken, trying to upgrade them. I mean, back in those days, you took a computer apart and there'd be little, little what were called jumpers, little clips on the motherboard, the motherboard, so we're not techno-babbling here, being the... Board with all the chips on it, all the micro components, and all the electrical parts on the board. There were little things that were little clips that you could change to affect the speed of how the computer would work. And you had to have all these things right because if you changed them and got them wrong, and you put the electricity through the board, it would overheat and burn and destroy itself. It was a lot easier to break things in those days than it is now. Where this went to was the the MD knew a guy who ran his own business, fixing computers. And she got him in to cover them in like a contract. So if one broke, he'd come in and repair it when it broke or he'd supply new computers to her when she wanted to buy one. I met him, got chatting with him, and he realised that I wasn't too bad at this and said, you know what, i got an idea for you. Why don't you come work with me in six months' time and we'll sell back our services to your boss for less money than she's paying your salary and I'll pay you more than you're earning with her if you come work with me, which seemed like a win-win situation. So I did. That was in 1998, and I left that business as director in March 2017 because it was the right time for me to go and do something different. It's my intention in this podcast to help you If you're a solopreneur, if you're a small team business, if you're an MD or a CEO of a larger organization, or even if you're a regular person who uses computers, help you understand the best things that you can do with IT, why technology is so important today, and why I believe that we are on the beginnings of the fourth revolution, the technological revolution, particularly involving artificial intelligence and machine learning. And at this point in time, we're on that change from when the UK moved from agriculture to industry in 1780 through to around 1840. We're in that transitional type of phase with technology at the moment. Many people don't recognise it. It really is happening. And the world is changing so fast and so quickly that it's very easy to get left behind. It's very easy to find it confusing and not understand it. Totally get that. And when you don't understand something, you tend to want to dismiss it or ignore it because no one wants to look silly or stupid. It's a natural reaction. I've had the same things many times in life. Once when I tried to learn to ice skate and got so livid trying to ice skate that I stormed off the rink as six- and seven-year-olds around me were whizzing past me because I felt like a complete idiot because I couldn't do it. And it really got me riled and upset. So I can understand how people feel about technology when they don't understand it and they want to just go, forget about it, it's not important, it was better when we did face-to-face. Those things will never die. The thing is, that's true, but technology enables more of that interaction. And as much as you want to ignore it, It's one of the biggest and most important differentiators in how you can make your business more successful than your competitors and how you can grow yourself a better life for you, your family, how you can achieve something and do something and make a difference and enable other people to have a difference in their life. After all, one of the main reasons why I left my previous business and set up on my own and now I've gone into partnership with James is because both he and I have got small children and we wanted to have more time with our families and earn money so that they can have a better life, so that we can treat them to things like nice holidays and have a nice home, but primarily so that we could run our lives the way we wanted rather than letting our lives run us. And I got to that, and it took a long time of discovery and experimentation to realise what was important. And what I mean by that is I spent a lot of time letting the towel wag the dog I worked in, as I say, traditional IT support for 20 years. So I was fixing PCs, fixing service, providing services, running a help desk, answering email queries. When something goes wrong, you'd call me and my team and we'd fix it. And then my business partner would sell stuff into people and we'd replace old equipment with new equipment and upgrade it and all those kind of things. And it was all based around Microsoft stuff. And I spent a lot of time working with Microsoft stuff a long, long time, all their email systems, their office programs, their databases, their versions of Windows. I've worked with, blimey, every single bit of it that's gone on over the last 20 years. I've not got a lot of time for it. They did a darn good job with that stuff. When you look at what Microsoft did, writing systems that could work with anybody's hardware so that it wasn't tied to hardware in the sense that you might see with Apple, who write their own software for for their own hardware, and it's a closed shop, no one else gets access to it. Apple stuff runs on Apple hardware, and no one else gets access. Microsoft did the opposite. They wrote systems that would work on anybody's system, so anybody could manufacture the computer and put their software onto it. And when you consider how many different permutations and variations of hardware you can put together in the world, which will be almost infinitesimally large... Pretty clever stuff from Microsoft that it all works pretty much all of the time, no matter how much we might moan and grumble about these kind of things. So I spent years with that. And yes, Microsoft stuff did go wrong. There there wouldn't be IT support businesses if it didn't. It used to go wrong here, there. It would break and it would crash or people wouldn't understand how to use it. And that's what I spent most of my time doing for people, answering their questions, getting onto their computers, controlling them, replacing parts when it broke. But there was something that started to go wrong with that whole way of working in the last five years. And what that was to do with is the reliability of services like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Wikipedia, Google, these things. What what I've referred to as cloud, you hear many people talk about cloud, and I want to put that one straight out there now because this is no techno bubble, and cloud is technically techno bubble. What cloud really means is computing that is in big data centres, great big buildings that are owned by other companies that you connect to over the internet to use. That's all it really means, as opposed to a local computer like your laptop in front of you or your desktop computer in front of you. Cloud computing is big computers in other locations that you connect to over the internet to use. And because... Microsoft and Google and Amazon have got these great big warehouses full of computers, hundreds of thousands of computers. They can offer services that are pretty damn reliable because they've built in ways that if one bit fails, it doesn't impact the rest of the service. If a whole building fails, there's another one that instantaneously takes over from it. So they can afford to have natural disasters, you know, take down buildings. They don't have problems with the power going out. They can tolerate things failing in ways that you can't achieve at your home and you can't achieve in your office yourself. You can't do comparable that. It would be almost like saying that you would go into business to build a car against BMW, and how could you possibly do that on your drive in comparison to what BMW can do in a car factory with a car production line? You can't. You can still build a car on your drive. You can do that, and you can have all the parts arrive, and you can build it and move it off, and then you can put all the parts back and build another one. There's no way in the world you're going to compete on quality and reliability with a car factory and a production line. And so this is really what cloud computing brings. It brings ultra-reliable computing. And we all got used to this, starting with things like Facebook app on our phone and, and Instagram app and Twitter. The fact that those things were always there, every single time we wanted them, they were there. Yes, there's been times when there's blips and glips and things like that, but it's so infrequent. You won't really remember the last time. Generally, it's always there. And that's not the same for the IT that you'd have in your office. There would be many times in which the server was down, the email was down, this didn't work, I'm waiting for the help desk to come back to me. I sent an email about this problem with the printer. So you were used to things breaking all the time in your your office. That was kind of what you were used to. It would break, you'd call the IT guys, they'd fix the problem, and you got used to that. And the value was in how quickly they would respond to that, how friendly they were, and how easy they made it for you if you didn't understand what they were doing to fix it. Then this cloud stuff starts, and then you start to think, well, hang on a minute, why can't I have my IT at work in the same way that I can on my phone in terms of reliability? Why is it not available all the time like Facebook is? Why is it not available all the time like Google searches? Now you may say, well, come on, it's because X amount of money, millions and millions of pounds and dollars have been spent on these data centers, and you're not spending millions and millions in your office. However, irrespective of that being the case that's not the perception for people people's perception is this thing works all the time this thing doesn't why can't i have that reliability with my thing and i noticed that this was causing in my industry people's expectations of their it systems to become more and more of no failure and always availability and in fact when things did go wrong it had gone from kyle it's gone wrong how soon until you fix it to kyle it's gone wrong why has it broken this was difficult because now i had things that were breaking and the moment they broke that was a disappointment to customers they were already frustrated the moment it went wrong it was not it's gone wrong can you now fix it when you're going to fix it good, that's great, or no, that's not acceptable, I want it fixed now. It was The fact it's broken was unacceptable. Problem was, who was putting the investment in to their systems to stop them from ever breaking? It certainly wasn't the customer. The customer had whatever they'd always had. They'd had what they'd had, but their expectation had changed and shifted across the timeline in which they'd owned this equipment. This made for a painful help desk environment. Because if you imagine now, every time there's a problem on the computer system, somebody would immediately go, why has it gone wrong? I'm frustrated it's gone wrong. Then they would want it fixed immediately, irrespective of whether it was a big problem or small problem, because everybody's problem's a big problem to them. Then what you'd have is if you couldn't fix that problem immediately, and sometimes you could, but a lot of the times if there were multiple problems coming in, you've only got so many people to work with, you couldn't solve everything immediately, particularly if it wasn't going to be what you consider a business taking down problem. It was a small problem to the business, but a big problem to the person. Well, they'd then take it to their boss, or they might take it straight to their MD, or they might be the MD themselves. That MD would pick up the phone and then phone my boss, and then my boss, who wanted to give the best company impression and personally not to feel that he'd let anybody down, would then scream at me, why isn't this fixed? And it became a really, really stressful environment. In fact, it became so stressful that there was no end between when the day started and the day ended. It never made any difference. The day was 24-7. I was expected as a director to be available 24-7. I was told that by my MD. He'd say, you're a director, you should be available 24-7, I don't care You need to be available. How does that make you feel as a person if you can never switch off? You don't have a work-life balance then. You are working permanently and you fit your life in around it. And that led to stress. And stress leads to mental health problems. And it did with me. I was at the end of my tether on some days. I'd come home on the verge of tears. I would come home so angry that that I once booted the metal bin that we put our clothes in in the bathroom before they need to be washed bashed it around the bathroom so much it was dented and broken up why because i'd had a phone call that where something had gone wrong after i'd left work that was not my fault or any member of my team's fault or my business's fault something was broken and the customer was rude about it and gave my md a piece of their mind and he gave me a piece of my mind including Effin and Jeffin. and i couldn't take it anymore it was killing me the job was killing me and it wasn't worth the money so that's why I left. Go into me. I won't go into any more details about it, but it built up to the point where it was either me or it was either me or the job. One of them was going to break, and I had to break the job. And luckily, my partner supported me and said, Carl, it'll be alright, you can do it. You can leave. You can leave the business and we'll find something else to do. You can do something else and I'll support you. And so I did. Now what that taught me and where I want to get to in this episode of the podcast right at the start of this whole thing and why you might want to continue to listen to this and why you'll get value out of this is that that taught me that you have to discover ways to use technology in your business so that it benefits you and the business isn't running you. You're running your business. And for a little while, I didn't really work out how that would work until I met my business partner, James Kimberley. And James shared with me how his business works. And it was interesting. Really interesting because, admittedly, he didn't have a bigger business like the one I'd left. He didn't have the number of clients that I had in my previous business that I had to look after. We weren't near that. But we did have a substantial amount of clients. We did have 200 people, 200 users using computers out there. And he showed me his business with 200 users using computer system that he'd put in place for them. And by system, I mean a, a design of different bits of software. He hasn't written anything. He's not a programmer. He took computer applications and a, and put them together in a way that he called his. And he got 200 users out there. And he'd say to me, I have one to three problems a week from 200 people. Okay. All right. What are the sort of problems? Oh, simple ones they'd ask me how do i do this or can i add a new user or somebody's leaving the business or where really easy stuff things that happen in life things change i want an email address i want to remove a person i want to add a person very very simple stuff stuff that everybody expects to happen in business but none of the big things and he said come and join my business for watch my business for like two weeks so, you know, come and watch what goes on. I think you'll find it interesting. So I did. I watched his business for two weeks, and it was fascinating. There was very little problem. There were maybe five problems in two weeks across 200 people, and all of them were really simple, and everybody you asked for them was super polite and nice about it. There was no effing and jeffing. No one was swearing. No one was threatening to throw their contract in the bin. People were happy. I was like, how would you do all this? You know, what's the secret formula, James? What's the secret formula? And then he started to share some of the secret formula with me. And I chimed in with some of the things that I thought and believed in too. And he said, yeah, yeah, the things some of the things that you wanted to do in your previous business, but you couldn't do because they weren't in agreement with what your MD wanted to do are the things that I've done and look how they work. And I said, okay, but what if we made this bigger? And he said, well, yeah, I'd like to make it bigger. I thought that sounds very interesting. And James made me an offer and said, well, why don't you come and work with my business? So I did. And that is where we are at the moment. I've been working with James for nine months now. We're about to finalise at this point in time, nearly approaching September 2018, we're about to finalise a shareholders agreement. I'm about to join the business as a director officially to Kimberley IT. And James and I have got a vision for how we will make people's lives easier, better, businesses will grow when their businesses grow as clients of ours our business grows too and i thought well wouldn't it be great if we shared some of the things that james and i do for our clients some of the ways that they can help with everybody else through a podcast and this will be my podcast so it's kyle's perspective on it it's there is a podcast that we have together that's called free talk friday on a monday where james and i do a podcast together and we chat through topics and that's slightly different but this is me on my own with my perspective and take on it about how we believe that technology is a great enabler something that will make a vast improvement to all of our lives and will help us all grow our businesses and when we grow our businesses i mean grow our businesses in ways that benefit us so that the business works for us not we work for the business. I'll I'll go over this again and again in the podcast because it's really, really important. Someone used to tell me when I was a younger man that you never let the tail wag the dog, which makes a lot of sense. It's the same thing. You can't let the tail wag the dog. The dog's got to wag the tail. You need to be in control. The business needs to work for you. You don't need to work for the business. And so that's what this podcast is going to be about primarily. I'll share other aspects of things that have mattered to me and have helped me. I'm a big fan of other podcasts. I'm a huge fan of reading and listening to audiobooks when I travel. I take part in mastermind groups, and those are groups of people who get together in business industries or separate industries to share ideas and challenges and help each other be more accountable and improve what they do. I'm a big fan of shared learning. So I'm going to share aspects of that in the podcast. One question that a lot of people say is, well, what if I don't get all this? What if I don't understand what you're talking about, Carl? My job in this podcast and what I intend to do is keep things as simple as possible for you. Great tech is simple. Bad tech is complicated. They both exist out there and they probably will forever. I focus on the simpler stuff and keeping it simple for you to understand. And that's the intention of this podcast. No tech, no bubble. Keep the jargon down. If there is a term that's got an acronym or it's a jargon, you know, if there is a term where it's shortened into a few letters, then I'll explain what that means and why there is a terminology so that you can understand it. Because these things do exist in life. You're going to get the opportunity from listening to this podcast to maybe understand some things that you didn't know about technology, get to try And hear about some things that you could have a go at that may be fun, that may save you some time, that may enable you to spend more time with your family in the morning, in the afternoon, because you'll be able to spread your life work balance. I call it work life integration. That's really important. I'm going to talk about ways that you can use, and this is a little bit corporate y, digital transformation. And what that really means is leading your business forward through technology. So being a digital leader and showing employees and showing other people and your customers how you use technology to deliver better services to them and ultimately to give people a better experience. Plan for this is to release it once a week on a Thursday. And I'm recording this one on a Friday, the 24th of of August now in 2018. So this one's not going to come out until next week. So this... That is where this podcast is at. And this first episode has gone into no real technical detail at all. It's been a little bit back history about me, the reason I'm doing it, what I'm about, what's motivated me, and why I think it's important. And I would like to think and hope that you find it important and fun too. I'm going to put this podcast out via the Kimberly website. So it goes out on SoundCloud, and then we're going to get it on Stitcher, and James will help me put it out into other places too there'll be all the links to social media will be on there too if you want to find me i'm on instagram as at that technology guy and that's a good place to start to find me and i hope that you'll enjoy this once a week and it'll give you the opportunity to indulge in a little bit of technology and see whether it's for you and if it is for you go out and try it and it might you might find it makes your life a lot better So I'm going to sign off now at the end of this. The episodes are around 30 minutes. So thank you for listening to this first episode of No Techno Bubble. And I look forward to coming back to you with episode two in a week's time. Thank you very much. Bye.